On September 20, 1977, the TV show Happy Days aired the third show in its fifth season. The episode's main characters visit Los Angeles, where the always cool, leather jacket-wearing Arthur Fonzarelli comes across the obnoxious local hero, the California Kid, who challenges him to a duel of sorts, on water skis. You probably know how this plays out. The Fonz rises to the challenge and pulls off a big jump over a shark. It was this episode that later inspired the term jumping the shark, which was shorthand for anything that used to be good, but somewhere along the way got gimmicky, lost its integrity, and became a parody, or at least a watered-down version, of its former self. There are so many things that have jumped the shark. MTV was synonymous with music videos before it went all-in on reality shows. Ray-Ban sunglasses ruined their brand when they stopped caring about quality. Sport utility vehicles. Long ago, they used to be for people that really needed four-wheel drive only to become bloated and obnoxious. And country music. Country music jumped the shark probably before Fonzie did, and in the current century especially, has lost practically all resemblance to its original form. As Roseanne Cash said in her autobiography composed, quote, at the heart of all real country music lies family, lies a devotion to exploring the bonds of blood ties, both in performance and in songwriting, end quote. But nowadays, the country music charts are filled with a lot of songs about hookups, breakups, and good times. Musically, country has become a lot like pop music, with a lower and lower common denominator and more and more formula. When you think about it, country music has employed aspects of pop formula for well over half a century, so the current state of major Nashville productions could be seen as inevitable. But there has been and remains a lot more to country music than its biggest stars and Texas artists have provided some shining examples. From a host of greats synonymous with outlaw country like Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, and Chris Christopherson, to troubadours like Guy Clark, Towns Van Zandt, and Rodney Crowell, Texas has long embodied a kind of Vienne to Nashville's Yang. That tradition continues with Dallas native Joshua Ray Walker, who pushes the boundaries of the genre, musically with a wide array of instrumentation and innovative arrangements, and lyrically with his unforgettable character portraits and sharp human insight. He has a voice that is one of a kind too. And in this episode, he talks about how his family influenced his career and his songs, how he only began writing lyrics years after he had been a full-time musician, the rich music scene of his East Dallas home, and a lot more. We spoke after his live session on public radio WNCW, which included the song you're hearing now, Sexy After Dark, which is included on his new album, See You Next Time. We also bring in a member of Joshua's other long-standing project, Ottoman Turks, with a conversation with their bassist and vocalist, Billy Law, who has an impressive new solo album of his own, titled Alone Somewhere. I'm Joe Kendrick. Welcome to our episode on Joshua Ray Walker on Southern Songs and Stories. I feel sexy after Southern Songs and Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media. Osiris creates music podcasts and events to help music fans deepen their connection to the music they love with all of their shows at OsirisPod.com. 
Osiris works in partnership with Jam Bass, which connects music fans to the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. Capsule versions of Southern Songs and Stories are produced for broadcast on WNCW by me, Corey Askew. More information about this and other podcasts from Grassroots Radio, WNCW at WNCW.org. Southern Songs and Stories with Joshua Ray Walker. Thank you for being on the show. Of course. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And I wanted to ask you first about, well, just how's everything going, getting 2022 in gear? Um, you know, professionally, it's going really good. <laughs> I have uh, lots of really cool news coming up this year. We just got to play Jimmy Fallon. Um we just announced my Grand Ole Opry debut that's in April. Um, lots of really good stuff's happening, and I think, you know, it's just more of the same over the last few years. Life is difficult, and there are obstacles to overcome, and, um, you know, there's just been a lot going on in my <clears throat> personal life, but professionally, music's trucking along, and I'm getting to do what I love, so it's great. So you finally get to bring the third album, actually probably more like the last two albums of the trilogy out there in public. Yeah, we never got to tour the second album, really, because we put it out in July of 2020. Yeah. So I imagine that now that you're able to get that in gear, uh, you're already thinking about the next step. So what are you working on next? Um, I mean, I can't talk about any of it yet, but I have all, you know, I have another idea for the next couple albums and uh i've started writing i mean i'm always writing so um i don't know if i'll ever sit down and just write a whole album like to release that way i have like a big collections of, of songs that are half done and i just kind of pluck a few out and finish them so sometimes songs are i mean on the last album there's a song that was 10 years old on there um it just takes a while to, you know, say that they're done. I'd like to talk about how you expand your sound. And well, first, even before that, can we call it country? Yeah, okay. definitely. So working outside of the box with banjo, B3, organ, accordion, horns, some things that are not often heard in the genre and the way that you approach the instruments, too, I think is is unique with a, an acoustic guitar solo or a yodel. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's very innovative. So how did you f- wind up with this far-reaching style? I don't know. I mean, I have a pretty broad, um, you know, s- sense of music that I like and... Um, I guess I just draw on that and it wasn't really on purpose. I just, when I write songs, I hear the arrangement in my head as I'm writing it. And then I just found a producer that allowed me to try all those ideas that I had. And then players that, you know, understood what I was going for. And, um, and then, you know, a lot ends up on the cutting room floor. Like, I might hear five different lead parts in a song, and then we choose two. And, like, those recordings exist somewhere. Um, they just don't make it on the final record. So, uh, yeah, I guess I just I hear pretty large arrangements to my songs when I write them. And John Pettigo, my producer, just helped me make them happen. 
So that's pretty important, that collaborative process. Very, yeah. I think, you know, he's taught me so much about being in the studio and just um, kind of the science of music, you know, like I, I'm better at performing live now because of stuff he's taught me about frequencies and tones and compressors and, you know, just all sorts of stuff. Um, and I think he's growing as a producer at the same time I'm growing as an artist. Like he was a pretty fresh producer when we started working together on the first album and we're best friends and hang out all the time. So, um, it's a really awesome experience getting to make records with him. Uh, let's talk about the characters in your songs and the kind of the literary style that you use to set the scenes. And one thing I like about them is that how you can make heartbreak so exquisite. I mean, it is, it is, there is, it is in sharp focus and kind of a beautiful sadness throughout a lot of these songs. But, um, there's also a lot of these situations in the songs that the scene is, is it's not really all that obvious what's going on at first. Right. But then it becomes unforgettable. So how do you do this? I don't know. I mean, I, um, it was all by accident. I didn't set out to write in any particular way. I didn't know anything about songwriting when I started. I don't really... I wasn't like a student of songwriting. I never listened to lyrics until around the same time I started writing lyrics. I was all, I was a lead guitar player for years. So I was more focused on the music. And then they just started coming out this way. And I feel like, you know, I kind of honed in over a few years and found my style and all the character writing stuff. And I use a lot of, I guess, what people call furniture. You know, like... um set pieces in the song that puts you in a place so you can visualize it. Um, and that's all stylistic things uh, that a lot of other people do. I just wasn't aware of. And that's just kind of naturally how I wrote. And then once I keyed in on that, I tried to just get better at it since it's what came naturally. You're playing Second chances at romance won't hang up your spurs. Cause you're playing cowboy. You spend your time thrift store denim shopping. You want someone at home to cook and do the mopping. You can talk the talk, but you can't walk those dirt roads that you've seen. Cause if you did, those snakeskin boots wouldn't be so dang plain. You're playing cowboy. A live version of Cowboy by Joshua Ray Walker, also included on his new record. In preparation for our interview with Joshua, I found out that we had something in common because I live in the old family home. My great-grandparents built it starting in the late 1800s. Joshua Ray Walker also has a family tie with his home, as he's living in what used to be his grandparents' house. I lived next door to them growing up. It's a duplex. I lived in it with my parents on one side and then my mother's parents on the other side. And now I live on the side my grandparents were in. And I, I purchased the house... Uh, about five years ago, 
Um, and my mom actually moved. She's back on the the side that I grew up in. So when I'm home, I get to see her, which is nice. You know, those family ties they're very important because they're evident in your songs. So is there anything that you would like to continue with your family history, or is there anything that you are conscious that you might want to change about it? I don't know if I'm going to have one. I'm not sure if I'm going to have children. So I'm the last walker in my bloodline, and it might end here. I don't know. I uh, I had uh, three, two uncles, and my father. He had once, you know, one kid, and they, his, my uncles had no children. So. Who knows? This could be it. It's not that I'm trying to change anything. I just, uh, you know, but I'm a young man. I'm 31. I could change my mind. Uh, and, uh, you know, if I do have kids, I hope they don't find this interview. Um, <laughs> but uh, would I change anything? Yeah, I would hope, you know, like there's a lot of, um, I don't know, kind of textbook masculinity issues in the family just very closed off and southern and you know hardworking and which are you know hardworking that's good but you know it was uh just a lot of stress a lot of performance anxiety that sort of thing so I just hope that I can be more open and if I do have kids or whatever family I have moving forward you know just communicate better and that sort of thing that's probably what I'd change about my family would that make you cry so you keep it all inside you write it down cause you can't make a sound like is a bit of flash paper by joshua ray walker from his new collection see you next time a song inspired by the message that his father left for him which joshua received after losing him after a four-year battle with lung cancer as he has said elsewhere that song is mostly about joshua wishing that his dad had said more of what he said in that goodbye video while he was still here it is a song that like country classics of days gone by spares nothing in its portrayal of family bonds and crushing loss Coming up, more of our conversation with Joshua Ray Walker, as well as his bandmate in Ottoman Turks, Billy Law, who has a new solo record of his own. From Ottoman Turks 2, this is their song, Vaquero. Yeah, 
seemed a little bit difficult to figure how Joshua Ray Walker's solo works syncs up with Ottoman Turks, and really your own record is is pretty far afield sonically. I think I can trace those connections now, but can you help us connect these dots? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, uh, Ottoman Turks really started out, it, it, it's not what it is now um, at all. I mean, we were like covering Beatles songs and we really just wanted to be, <laughs> we were a Tom Waits cover band basically for a while. We were just covering like Tom Waits and Bob Dylan. And I, I think between the three of us, we all had a really great appreciation for great songwriters. And that's what we were trying to be. And it was going to be kind of a folk outfit. And then at some point, I think all four of us realized that we really just liked having fun. And the energetic shows is every time we had a really energetic show, we got a great response. And so Turks ended up being kind of this like outlaw country, black Sabbath rock band. And I think that that allowed for mine and Nathan's and Josh's solo stuff to kind of be the flip side of that coin. And I always tell people it's, it's so, I think that we have this advantage as musicians, as, um, as solo artists to be, uh, very contemplative and, um, you know, like write that down-tempo folk song and then um, move to Turks where it's just like, let's be as rowdy as possible. And you like get that out. And I think that it serves both sides of the coin really well to be able to do that. Billy, what stands out about Joshua Ray Walker to you? A lot of people don't realize how great of a guitar player he is. I, I think that he kind of tones that down um, in his solo work. He's, he's a great guitar player. He's actually, he's a good drummer. He can play all the instruments. And I think that he has a really good mind for uh, production. And he knows what he wants from a song very, very quickly. Um, he's a fantastic writer. Um, he writes slow and then fast. So it'll take him months to come up with something and then all of a sudden he's got like a couple songs that he just kind of bangs out there and he it's because I think he has a very specific vision for what he wants so when it's not coming he knows that it will he'll know when the time is right I just think that he has an ability to to be really authentic um, in the songs that he's writing and meaningful and I don't think that he takes words for granted um, he's not one to use cliches and I think that he's always uh He'll throw a phrase out there and make you think about it in a different way than you had before. Billy Law's album, Alone Somewhere, is well worth a listen, and he is already working on a follow-up, as well as upcoming collaborations with nearby musicians on a series of cover EPs. He also has a lot of good things to say about Ottoman Turk's founder, Nathan Mongol Wells' upcoming solo record. For a band that started out playing Beatles covers, Ottoman Turk's has managed to echo the Fab Four by boasting multiple vocalists and songwriters who also became notable solo artists. And Ottoman Turks is ongoing, having released Ottoman Turks 2 just last year, and they are playing several dates this spring in their hometown of Dallas. 
Speaking of Dallas, here's the song that starts off Joshua Ray Walker's latest, titled Dallas Lights. Talking about one of your songs, Dallas Lights, it mm-hmm. seems like that's an obvious love letter to Dallas. Yes. Um, want to ask about the music scene in DFW? Sure. Seems like there must be an embarrassment of riches as far as talent goes. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I when I started writing, I was surrounded by friends who were just amazing writers. I mean, Billy, uh, who played with me in Studio B earlier, um, he's been playing bass for me for 10 years, but he's a incredible writer um i'm in a band called ottoman turks where there are two other songwriters in that band that are just really great and just a lot of other uh writers around dallas um so i feel like i was kind of spoiled because everybody i knew um who wrote songs i thought was really really great and it inspired me to try harder to write and um you know, now that I've been around, I realized that's that was pretty rare. Like we had a, I don't know, <laughs> even John Pettigo, my producer, is an incredible songwriter. Um, and they're great musicians, and I'm just really glad the scene. Um, there's infrastructure there now to like support itself. When I was getting started, there weren't very many gigs, and it was really hard to make a living as a musician in Dallas. Um, but now I feel like we're a huge export for touring bands. I mean, there are hundreds of people living in Dallas, making a living full time, you know, doing it out on the road and making music. So it's really awesome. Speaking of Dallas, I came across this very recently. It was a study of music scenes of major U.S. cities and it ranked them according to these metrics like the number of small intimate venues, the number of working musicians, the price of concert tickets, wages for the artists, number of nearby festivals, how much people searched online for different types of music for each city. And then it put Dallas in the bottom five of the ranking. Really? And do you think that's close? Do you think they're way off or what? I would say it's it's way off. Yeah, I mean... Um, I travel all over the country and of course they're your big music towns, Austin, Chicago, New York, LA, Nashville. Um, and then there are secondary cities and I would say Dallas is, you know, you got your big five and then Dallas is in that secondary 
market, your Seattle's, your Dallas, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'd be interested in reading that that article. I, it was a surprise to me. But maybe East Dallas is a kind of a thing to itself with maybe. where you're from. When I reference East Dallas, I'm I'm talking about Dallas proper, just the east side, you know, east of downtown. Um, but who knows? Maybe there's one of those factors that skews the data or something, like the amount of festivals we're near or something like that, you know? Yeah, some of the uh, the pieces of that study were really surprising to me. Like, for example, Charlotte, the median income for a music artist was way above the median income for other people working in Charlotte. And huh. it, it was like $44 an hour. And I thought, wow, that seems like a whole lot. I, yeah, I mean, I'd be interested in where the data came from. <laughs> Just because that, you know, doesn't make sense. Unless there are a bunch of really well-paid musicians in Charlotte for, like, maybe there's some bands based out of Charlotte that make a ton of money that skewed the <laughs> the, right. the median or whatever. Right. Right. Joshua Ray Walker here on Southern Songs and Stories and Studio B here at WNCW in Spindale today. Thanks to Sean Rubin for engineering the session. I know you don't have a lot of time, but I really appreciate you being here. Is there anything I left out or do you, that you might like to add? No, just thank you for doing this. And, um, you know, hopefully I'll come back on the next record. Very good. We look forward to it. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Because it's once. Three strikes of felony If I keep on messing around This drinking will get the best of me See it's once, twice Three Strikes, another new song by Joshua Ray Walker, recorded live on Public Radio WNCW on February 21st, 2022. Thanks for listening to this episode of Southern Songs and Stories, and I hope you might tell someone you know about the series, whether that is in person or on social media. Please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, you name it. After that, it helps a lot when you give it a good rating and a review. Top ratings and reviews especially will make Southern Songs and Stories and the artist it profiles more likely to be found by more people just like you. You can find a list of all the songs you heard in this episode in the show notes, as well as a link to the study Ranking Music Scenes, which was produced by Clever Real Estate. By the way, Austin was number one, while Miami was last at number 50. I'm still not able to figure out how the median income of Charlotte musicians got so high according to this thing. Maybe we can get some answers whenever we bring in another artist from the Queen City on this series. Southern Songs and Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio, WNCW, and Osiris Media, with all the Osiris shows available at osirispod.com. You can also hear new episodes of this podcast on Bluegrass Planet Radio at bluegrassplanetradio.com. Thanks to Corey Askew for producing the radio adaptations of this series on Public Radio, WNCW. Our theme songs are by Joshua Ming. I'm your host and producer, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South, and the artists who make it. She said, come on, I said, I will be there quick. Ask if 
favor, but my buddy can't drive stick. What was the strangest gig that you've played? Um, man, Turks has had a slew of them. Uh, I would say that the, the strangest gig that we played was um, we played the opening of a Sprouts grocery store. And they didn't, all they really knew was they wanted live music, but they didn't have anybody to orchestrate that or anything. So they're just like, oh, we'll pay this, this band to come in here and play. And they just kept coming back after every song. Like, can you turn it down a little bit? We're like, we got drums, man. <laughs> it only gets so quiet. Um, that was that was a strange one for sure. <laughs> 